is, I am a spiritual being. I am a great, mighty, powerful, playful, spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. Do you hear me? Dignity, direction, and purpose. I am not that little girl who sucks her thumb and pees in her pants. I am not the woman that walked into the, my first OA meeting crying. I am not the woman who sat in Van eyes and couldn't get up to share without breaking down. No, I am a spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. And you know what they say about spirit? We're all the same age, spiritually. Like that. Um, next question, how often do you go to meetings these days? These days, so you have to understand, I'm on a highway to humility, like Bill Wilson said. Uh, I go to one meeting a week. And now with Zoom, I'm going to a few here and there. It's, it's just lovely. Uh, I've been asked to share in a, a, quite a few places and that's been a whole new thing for me. Uh, in my years, on the board of trustees. I was the first region three trustee. And you know, I think Nikki reminded us that in those days in the 70s, 70s and 80s, there were no cell phones. You had to go to a landline, you know? We had landlines, we had books, and we had TV uh, and newspapers. Remember those <laughs> quaint things? So, um, it was, it, was, it was very different uh, in those years. And what was the question again? Uh, that question was how many meetings do you go to these days? Okay. So these days during COVID, I go to more than one a week, sometimes two, three, I don't know. But for sure I have one home meeting and uh, that's the only three times a month for sure in regular in regular times. Um, but that is, you know, nothing is stagnant. Ask me how many meetings I went to in those 12 and a half years. Ask me, you know, in the years after and in between. In my work on the, on the board of trustees, I was very full of myself. Um, I thought I knew everything and everyone came to me and I, I was region three trustee, the first one, first and second one. And I went to various places to solve problems. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was on the board and we, you know, we did all these things and um, I had to be taken down a few pegs because I was so full of myself. And through the years, it morphed that I put myself up, up there and then people just started treating me like that, like I knew more. Like I had some answers for them. And I just jumped on that bandwagon and I loved it. 
I was an authority. I loved it. It really went to my head. And, um, and in those days, we did have stars in the program. And I, uh, you know, I, I kept company with a lot of those people. It was a great time in our history. So what happened for me is I would go to a meeting. They would look to me for answers. And I would just tell them. My program was really convoluted. Uh, I was so full of myself. And so I had to retreat. I had to, and, and then I, after I, after I was World Service uh, trustee, I was the center mic monitor. I was like the parliamentarian's right hand. I did that for 10, 15 years. I was so impressed with myself. But you see, I didn't have, I didn't have what I have now. I didn't have a foundation. I didn't have that basis. I didn't understand spiritually who we are, what my possibilities were, what balance was. I didn't know. So it was, you know, me or, or I was nothing. And pretty soon the nothing started moving up and hopefully I got over here and I saw that I was causing a lot of trouble. And fortunately I had sponsors and people around me who loved me, who cared for me, who helped me transition. That's the part guys. I had people who helped me transition into the different phases of what life dishes out. You know, life has very funny twists and turns. And today you can be king of the hill and tomorrow, you know, you can be hit by a car. We all know that. Look, I mean, we don't have to look further than COVID. So it's a journey. And so I don't think there's one right answer for every situation. For you, you have to find someone who has what you want in your position, understanding where you're coming from. You can, I cannot get to where I'm going unless I start from where I'm at. So I have to accept myself, warts and all. That's what this beautiful program does for us. We get us, we get 12 steps where we can look at all of our warts. We can, and there are people that are gonna help us get through them get over them, get over ourselves, uh, you know, powerless. I knew I was powerless from the minute I walked in the rooms, but that other half of that first step, you mean my life is unmanageable? Oh, you must be mistaken. Ah, you, ah, me? <laughs> no, there's no way. It took a lot of years to get to the place where I understood how broken I was how I compensated in so many areas to get over not looking at myself, not looking at these character defects. So I think the important thing to understand is give everybody, so, there, so I hope you're listening with a 1% open, just 1% doubt. Maybe she's got a point <laughs> that as we travel this road, things change. I don't want to have to 
I don't want to have to do convulsions to call my food behavior abstinence. For me personally, now listen, 1% here. For me personally, abstinence doesn't translate in OA, from AA to OA. And so many problems with the OA crossovers and people looking for that perfection, back to that perfection. There is no perfection with three meals a day or with eating with food. It's, it's just, it's an eating disorder. It's disordered thinking, it's disordered soul. Um, so I don't, I talk about, you know, being an abstinence thriver, an abstinence warrior, but I'm, those of you who know me know I very rarely use abstinence. I call this birthday, uh, the birthday of my final, first final surrender. There've been a lot of surrenders in my life. Uh, in order to get to the place where I can love myself, I had to surrender. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, fear. Uh, oh my, I, you know, character defects, self righteousness was one. Uh, that was a biggie for me. I knew more. Um, just ask me. So, yes, I am getting over getting over myself. Uh, and I only do one meeting a week on a, as a general rule, but that can change uh, in a heartbeat. Uh, we still have a few questions. Uh, okay. Did world service experience help your abstinence? How? Question mark. Oh my God, my world service experience changed my life and so many levels uh, and service, you know, that's why it was so important to me. You know, I had no self-worth guys and you guys started listening to me. You know, there's a gal in our, I don't think she's on, but Judy is her name and she's in our Friday morning meeting and she'll say, at the end of her share, no matter what the subject is, she'll say, oh, thanks for giving a shit. <laughs> it was like, what? Just listening to me. You listen, you care about me. So how did world service? Oh my God. Well, first of all, I meet this guy who turns out to be of the same religion I am, who was my brother's age and who has had this obsession lifted. And we connect on a level that was remarkable. And then he was friends with this other guy. Also, uh, we were the three of us were peers, and they adopted me. They wanted me to to succeed, and they gave me, you know, women's movement today. We talk about, you know, we're we're what well, we talk about mentors. You know, we need men as mentors to get to the next level. To to very often, we need mentors. These guys were mentors and we would meet, you know, once a month and we'd walk through the hall. We were, we'd meet in a, a hotel. We'd walk through the restaurant and they would be flanked on either side of me and they'd go, they'd move in on me and they'd say, you see that guy, he's looking at you. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm Sadie married lady. You don't look at me. 
listen, you guys, that's, that's off the table. And they would insist. And I'd say, oh, well, you know, I, 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 I don't do that. I'm Sadie married lady. I'm very married. I've got two kids. I'm, you know, this is, and, this, and, and besides, I said, Harold wouldn't like it. And they looked at me and they said, who's Harold? And it was the first time I was like, <laughs> I was naked. So how has the World Service experience <laughs> helped me? And there was a woman, a woman from Montana, who once said to me after a board meeting, she said, you know, you listen only to the guys. When the men speak, you listen, but you don't listen to us women. What? And she said, and we became friends and I had no idea. I had no idea this was a, a defect of mine. And I, I did some writing and blah, blah, blah. I did, the, I did what I had to do. And I find out you don't like other women and you don't listen to them because you don't like yourself. If you don't like yourself, how can you like other women? So this was huge. And it was then that I could, you see, if you don't, if you're not aware of your defects and you're not willing to learn, you'll just keep doing the same thing over and over. You'll just keep eating it, going to the refrigerator and looking for the food. So today, my first response is still the food. When something hits me, COVID, whatever, blah, 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 I'm scared. Blah, blah, blah. My first response, I want to eat. So what? I think it was Ram's morning who talked about, so what? So I want to eat. Do I have to eat? Nah, those days are gone. I used to have to. I have to, but I can't. I want to, but I won't. Rah, rah, rah. There's an utz inside us. I love to call it an utz. It's a nudge. It's a force. It's a thing that's, you're no good. You can't do this. And that very utz, that utz for evil, for turning in on yourself, that utz can be turned. It can be turned around. And so, you know, what the question was, what do I do when I overeat? I know that it's like an utz. It's like a signal. Bevzo, look further. Sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes the pain is too great but I know it's there and I've got work to do. It's a signal. I'm grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that. Okay. Um, what's the best thing you've gotten from your OA recovery? Oh, the best thing? <laughs> well, the best thing as far as food is concerned, the best thing as far as history is concerned, the best thing as far as my Kinderloch are concerned. Uh, Kinderloch, in case you missed the German lesson, uh, Kinder is German and Yiddish for children. And Kinderloch are those sweet babies, you know, the sweet Kinderloch. So, yeah, so, What's the best thing? I suppose living in the present, 
being all I can be, wanting to be all I can be, being relieved of the mishigas, of the craziness, the craziness of that utz that won't let you be, that says you're nothing, you'll never be anything. Uh, today, I affirm, I affirm all the time, I like myself. I thank you, God. Everywhere I go, the, I get in my car and it's an immediate thank you, God. I walk from my, you know, with my mask from my elevator to the car and I, you know, and I totter around and some days I'm stronger than others. And I dance on the dance floor today with this body. I've got a real body today. So maybe that's the best part. I don't know. There's a lot of best parts. I never had a body. I'm a late bloomer, you guys. And it's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing to be a late bloomer. So, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a cheerleader. And I know there are those of you out there who lost your beautiful bodies. I never had one. This is like, you know, it's not exactly the best I've ever been. I'm, I'm heavier than I like. I'm about, I've just lost six pounds. Uh, uh, and that's another thing. The best part is I get to manage. I get to manage my life and my weight. I'm gonna say it, it's a bad, bad thing, but I've been given that power. So, you know, step 12, we practice these principles in all our affairs, praying uh, only for the knowledge of God's will for us. No, that's um, step 11, but we're practicing at all times understanding that the best is yet to come. Just get rid of your ego. Um, so yeah. here's, here's a concept of the ego becomes your valet. So God becomes number one and the ego is down here and uh, God tells you what to do and you do it. It's adorable. Um, those kinds of concepts change your way of looking at life. Whatever works for you. That's my message, most of all. And, um, you know, the fact that I've been given sobriety. I used to say food sobriety, but now that's being convoluted to be something perfect as well. And so I can't say that anymore. But I, I'm, I'm hooked into wellness. Uh, and balance, uh, clarity. Maybe that's the best thing I've gotten is to be clear, to understand my place in the universe. Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not, it's not all about me, but I have a space. Yes, I'm valuable. And, you know, I said to my, I was out to dinner with my my son and my grandson and his girlfriend. And I said, I told them I was doing this because, you know, Sheila said, you know, we get a thousand people on these retreats. And I thought, whoa, I, 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 you know, but, and my voice came in, comes in and says, Beverly, you've spoken before thousands. It's okay, you can do this. And so I'm telling these, my, my, my family, I'm gonna be speaking to maybe a thousand people. I said, imagine, they want to hear what I've got to say. And my granddaughter says, Bubby, we want to hear what you have to say all the time. 
And uh, so that was just adorable. Yes. Um, the next person asks, uh, please finish that BOT story. It sounded good. Oh, about uh, being appointed to the board? B-O-T. Yeah, the board of trustees. There. Well, I kind of did in, in, in a little bit. So we were we were at the at the conference and they needed volunteers to be on the board of trustees. In those days, the board was, I don't remember how many people, 12 or 14, 12, nine or 12. And they were 80, they were, it was maybe two women, every was all men. And in those days you had to have two years of abstinence and people would resign because they couldn't get to, you know, you'd have a, we thought in, the, in terms of perfection, and if you ate between meals, you had to resign from the board. So here were these four vacancies, and they appealed to the audience, to the, a couple hundred people there. I'm, I'm leading this delegation from Phoenix, and we came in, in two cars with ice chests because we couldn't afford to stay, and we're eating our food and blah, blah, blah. And they're pleading, we need people with two years of abstinence. And they said, and we're all huddled in the back. And my group says, Bethy, you're the only one who qualifies. You're the only one who's got the two years. You have to do this. Oh, I can't. There's the theme of my life. Oh, I'm not ready. I can't, I can't do that. And uh, they said, why not? I said, well, I, you'd have to come to LA every, every weekend. I can't afford to do that. We'll drive you, they said, and we'll bring our ice chests. Oh my God, you'll do that? Yes. Well, well, but I've got a family and a husband. Well, let's call them up and find out if they'll let you do this. I call my husband. I ask him, oh, Bevy, go for it. He said, I said, but we can't afford it. I got to go. He said, we'll work it out. There's nothing in my way. I said, okay. So I go before the board. We all meet, you know, outside this big room. And there's a guy named Barry Walborski from Seattle. He's the only one whose name I remember. There was a guy from Northern California. And there was another woman. And I don't remember her name. But, and there was a bunch of, there was like eight or 10 of us. And we had to go into this room. And, um, and here they are, 10 or 12 people. My sponsor, who probably has more abstinence than I, you know, Sheila said, I got more abstinence. <laughs> For sure, Maxine has. So there she is sitting at the end of the table. I walk in that room and I'm scared to death and I can't do this, you know. And then I sit down and then she says, okay, Bev, tell us your story. So I just tell them what happened to me, the gift of desperation and, and the rest is history. Uh, we still have a couple of minutes and the next question is, what's your favorite page in the big book? Oh my God, that, that has changed through the years. Uh, of late it's that page 25, but there's another one at the end of, at the end of the 10th uh, step promises that talks about, you will see a fellowship rise up 
around you that um, is a pretty powerful one. So all of the promises of the ninth step and the 10th step, they come true. And that I have been privileged to watch fellowship grow out around me, to be a part of it, to have shared in the writing of the first book, the, the, the first meditation book, to be a part of the literature, to be a part of the spirit of the program, to uh, develop as a human being, as a whole human being, uh, wholeness and holiness and looking for spiritual growth, not perfection, progress. Uh, and page 25 of late with that sweet thing that I read to you about the great fact for us is that we've had a spiritual experience. Okay. Um... I lost my piece. I need to find it. Here we go. Um, how did you obtain your abstinence? And uh, we really only have a little over a minute. What? We have one what minute. The, what was the question? How, how did you obtain your abstinence? Oh, my God. Give me a break after... After 90 minutes, you still don't know how I obtained it? I'm sorry. Beverly, somebody might have put that question in 40 minutes ago, an hour ago. Okay. <laughs> Thank Connie, you. Why don't you go to the next question? Connie, why don't you go to the next question? Sorry, my phone was ringing too much. Um, what is your morning and evening routine? Oh, my morning and evening routine, it varies. Um, I kind of roll with the punches. I am grateful, I meditate, I, um, I thank you, God. Um, I have all kinds of, so I'm 89 and you know, here you see this vibrant, gorgeous, I'm very photogenic and I, I look terrific and all this thing, but, I have all kinds of issues in my tissues. Um, they, I will never let them define me. Uh, and so, but they do take a toll in the morning. So I respect them. I give them their due. Um, uh, always mindful of who I am, where I am, how grateful I am to be part of this movement to have the 12 steps as a blueprint for how to live my life and to continue improve and practice 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 that's what i do every day i practice and it doesn't stop in the morning it starts in the morning uh, i'm a yogi i'm a ballroom dancer do you love that anything physical is so great for me uh, because motion is life and I am dedicated to being all I can be, living the most I can, giving as much as I can, serving wherever I can. So it's uh, practice, practice, practice. Uh, 
and um, just grateful to be here. Thanks. That's great. Beverly, thank you so much. We really appreciate you you being here and such a great share. Thank you. And we're so glad we got to celebrate your birthday with you. So thank you for Me sharing too. your Ash. And it was wonderful to hear you. Thank you. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Yay. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you for asking me for doing this. It's just been a joy. You know, I, I met you once before, but uh, I hope our connection continues. Yes. It's just Indeed. lovely. Thank you. And thank you to all my, my peeps that are here. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. Very good. You bet. You bet. Yes. Thank you. All right. Okay. So now we are... Um, Moving on to our next speaker who is from Montana and her name is Kate and she is a friend. I met her a couple of years ago when I'd gone up there. I was leaving her and um, she's just a wonderful example of recovery up there and long-term recovery and you're going to hear and she's just, this is her thing. She loves to talk about sponsorship. So we've got her right in her wheelhouse and um, and you can be in touch with Kate. She's one of the, the people who made her her email available and Mark has posted that for people who are on different devices. So we've got that information in there as Beverly is one of those people who very generously gave her email. And for people who didn't, that's no, no reason other than that they just didn't do it. Doesn't mean a thing, but we're grateful. And so you can be in touch with Kate because again, she's got lots of materials about sponsorship. She is a, a real force of nature up there in, uh, in that area of the country. So I give you Kate, Kate, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Sheila, and thank you everyone who's attending. Um, uh, I just want to let you know that I beat everyone. We had a foot of snow last night and temperature down to six below. So unless you're from Canada, <laughs> I'm sure we're the coldest, snowiest place. <laughs> I'm sure I live in the coldest, snowiest place um, on today. So um, Graham, just go ahead and remind me after 30 minutes and then I'll wind up at 40 minutes and then I'll take questions for 20 minutes. Okay. Thank you. you We've got you. Okay, great. Okay. So um, I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to do exactly what we do. I'm going to tell you what, what happened and then what it's like now. And then I'm going to spend some time on sponsorship because um, yeah, that's my deal. I sponsor and I love to sponsor. And um, uh, yeah, I've been sponsoring a long time. So uh, uh, I want to make sure that you understand that I am a hope to die recovering compulsive reader, that I was somebody who was never going to get it and never going to recover. Um, so uh, I think I was born a compulsive eater. At five, I remember knowing where everything in the cabinets was, and I, and I had to have those marshmallows, a variety of colors underneath my pillow at night. That was me. And, uh, and I was the kid who stole candy from my brothers and my sister every Christmas. Like if there was something candy missing in the house, it was me. If there was anything missing in the house, it was probably me. <laughs> um, uh, my mother used to buy bags of candies uh, and then uh, hide them around the house and I, nobody could hide anything from me. I was just too good. And uh, when I was a little older at 10, I just wanna give you um, an idea that, you know, my favorite thing in the world to do was to go downstairs into the basement, into the dark, turn on the television, turn off all the lights, lie in the leather couch and, um, 
and watch television and eat. And I usually eat purloined or stolen food. Um, my brother was a my brothers were wrestlers, and so I, I would take their candy bars and anything else, and 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 be all alone. And sometimes I think of that moment, and I it still makes me salivate a little bit. <laughs> you know that total aloneness. Nobody could bother me. I think I'm probably the only person who really loves MRIs because nobody can bother me inside that tube. I am I am alone, and I like it. And uh, my mother always had me going to some sort of activities, and I just, I, 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 I just, I just hated it. I just wanted to be home alone, and phased out. So the phasing out thing, the numbing, the disappearing, was really important to me. Uh, when I got to be a teenager, I got to look. I started really getting focused on my looks compared to my friends' looks, and I was a swimmer, and I always weighed like ten pounds more than my friends and it bothered me it really bothered me so we went on diets together and we'd look at you know we'd compare each other's waists and it, you know we did all of the things that is so unhealthy for teenage girls to do and and then I said to myself I gotta get serious here because <laughs> I had a, you know I had all these diet plans that I had devised and these exercise regimes and and I I, I just wasn't I, 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 things weren't happening the way I wanted them to. So I went to over, I went to, what, what is that? Weight Watchers. That was the first thing I went to. I went to Weight Watchers and then I, um, uh, uh, and, and I succeeded and then I failed. And that was the beginning. Of it. As soon as I became serious about something, it, it was, it was like a drawing down into the vortex of doom, really, because every time, I mean, I was such an intense Nick. I was so intense all the time that it, 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 it like grounded into the ground. So I, I went to Weight Watchers and went, re-went to Weight Watchers and tried every single diet there was. So I was a big time restrictor. Also, I exercised a lot. And, um, and I also, uh, 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 tried a lot of different things and spent a lot of money on diet programs. And, uh, I went away to college. And I, um, uh, before I left, I did the medical weight loss program and I lost some weight. And uh, then I went to college and I remember walking by this young woman uh, eating ice cream, thinking, poor pathetic girl. <laughs> there she is eating ice cream. Aren't I lucky? And you know, within a couple months, this was my MO and it had been in high school too. go out and buy because my mother had taken me to a behavioral modification class for eating disorders. And uh, they taught us how to have a food vacation, meaning you packed a suitcase filled with food, put it under your bed, and then you ate it all at once, as long as you had all your food in Tupperware later on. So I learned how to do that. And I did that and my food vacations happened almost every day. <laughs> So I would eat and eat and eat and eat and I would skip school and go to some neighboring uh, high school, slip down in my uh, 67, 68 Chevrolet station wagon and eat and, um, and zone out and read a Cosmopolitan magazine. And, uh, you know, I had that 68 station wagon the whole time I went to high school. How many times do you think I gave somebody a ride home? Never. Never, because there were so many candy wrappers stuffed under the seats that I, I couldn't I couldn't risk having anybody see that. <laughs> Nobody got in my car. 
So um, college was the same way. I'd go away to some far off place and uh, take a bag of food and eat everything. And so I, I gained a huge amount of weight. Even I was swimming every day and I still gained a huge amount of weight. I was near 200 pounds. And uh, I, I went on all of these, I had all these great adventures because really my idea of myself was the female version of Jack London. You know, I was an adventurer. And so I, I went to New York and worked in an, uh, in an alternative art space. And I went to uh, uh, Europe and I went to Israel and worked on the kibbutz. And I, I hitchhiked around the country with an Iraqi woman. <laughs> I mean, we just did some crazy things. And, um, and I, I consistently uh, compulsively overate. And the, but I noticed something different happened to me um, when I stopped, um, uh, I stopped restricting what I was eating. I stopped dieting and I stopped binging. It doesn't mean I stopped compulsively eating, but the, the dieting, I stopped that. I didn't have to eat, you know, the big gigantic bags of, of, of M&Ms. And I wasn't lost in that thought all the time. I, I just remember sitting at a bus stop thinking, you know, uh, dreaming of having the chocolate pouring into my mouth and all over me. I mean, that, I was so obsessed with eating and, and dreaming about eating. So uh, what happened? Yeah, because I'm on 10 minutes now. Um, so I, was, uh, I went away after college to a foreign country where at the current weight I am now, which is what I've weighed, I don't know, for 34 years, uh, uh, I, was, I would be considered big. So in that country, they are small. It's Asia and they're small. And I was uh, already large. And, um, and I smoked cigarettes by that time. And, uh, and I, uh, I, I, I rode around on a motorcycle smoking my cigarettes and I drank so much coffee, I would stop. I mean, this kind of tells you my mentality of that really intensity. I, I drank coffee that I would put instant coffee in my backpack. And then I drive from village to village and make them make me hot water, you know, build a fire, make me some hot water so that I could have my coffee. And so you would see this woman, women do not smoke in this country. I'd be driving my motorcycle, smoking, going to the next village and having to make me hot water, my coffee. So uh, I got really sick in, in this country and uh, I got sick in many ways. And I, uh, I started to uh, eat, come, oh, I know what happened. I got sick. I came home, the doctor diagnosed me and the doctor put me on a special diet. I went back to the country and I, I mean, I, I started binging like crazy. And, and so I came home and uh, after three years in this country and, you know, the people that I was with was just like, uh, astonished at, at what happened to me. I was giving public lectures in the community development department in a foreign language. And I would be up there intensely, you know, uh, educating people on my program. And we, we had, we were, you know, teaching people various skills, lending them money, and then uh, having them go out and start businesses. And uh, so I'm up there teaching all these community development workers and my skirt is splitting. 
you know, <laughs> literally the threads are tearing apart as I'm giving this very serious lecture because I can't get bigger clothes because I'd have to have them specially made. This is not a country of large people. This is the country of small people. So everywhere I went, I was busted out of my clothes. And I finally ended up in this wraparound skirt that barely wrapped around. I mean, it was, it was pathetic. So I come home. Oh, before I came home, I went to visit my brother who was living in Japan. And uh, I, again, wearing my wraparound skirt, I noticed something new was happening. I had to have food on me at all times. And the best thing we did in Japan, we went on a temple walk where we went from um, uh, temple to temple and tea shop to tea shop and ate cookies and drank tea. And that was the perfect interval. You know, you'd walk 15 minutes, you'd stop and eat. Walk 15 minutes, stop and eat. And that was my speech. So, uh, my hope in giving you some background is, is I really want you to get that even though I was, let's see, was I 25? Yeah, I was just 25 when I first came into the program. I was a hope to die compulsive overeater. I ate like somebody, you know, I, I ate like a crazy person and I needed to have food with me at all times. And when I came home, my mother had had, uh, my sister had hit a car the year before and uh, and my mother put her in treatment and the treatment people told them that my sister was an alcoholic and that my mother was an alcoholic too. So they, she was started going to AAA and when I came home and, and slept on her floor in her boyfriend's apartment in San Diego, a city I had never been to before uh, and knew nobody there except my mother and kind of this boyfriend, uh, uh, she said, I think you need Overeaters Anonymous. And so she dropped me off at meetings and let me say that you know, I, would, I would be there. And I really disliked Overeaters Anonymous. I disliked all the friendliness, all of the holding hands and the praying and the sweetness. And it just, I, I, I was so offended. And I really didn't think there was anybody smart enough to sponsor me. Uh, turns out that my mother stopped talking to me until I got a sponsor. And I did get a spot at that point. And within a couple of weeks, she fired me. <laughs> and then I got another sponsor. And within a couple of weeks, she fired me. And what they were doing, what we were doing is, it was back in the gray sheet days. And of course I was gonna try that method. That was the hardest I thought, and the best and most mm, rigorous uh, way to recover. And, and I failed. I mean, it would, I have lost my ability to diet at all. I mean, I, I could not diet to save my life. And uh, I, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I couldn't last a day. And so uh, 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 I was crying to somebody and this woman said to me, you know, remember, I know nobody in this town. Oh, and I have to also tell you within the first couple of weeks, I fall in love with a guy that I've lived, my mother has kicked me out of her apartment and now I'm living in this terrible rundown mansion in Hillcrest in San Diego and the, where the rooms are rented out by the uh, I was paying $50 a week for a room no job I had little signs all over the neighborhood Kate cleans house and you know to me this was like I, I hit bottom here when I'm putting out little signs Kate cleans house and so I've fallen in love with a drug addict and uh, I am, 
really in bad shape because you don't have anybody when you have a drug addict as a boyfriend. And so I, I'm desperate. I am desperate. I have this guy who, who borrows my, you know, if I had, I got some beaten down $500 uh, uh, car and, and, and he would borrow that car for five hours and leave me sitting some in some park and then come and pick me up and say he was sorry. You know, so I was in desperate shape. And so I was crying to somebody and she said, would you like me to sponsor you? And I said, yes, please, please, please. And this woman had been to a very nice East Coast college, you know, private university. And I thought, she's smart enough <laughs> to sponsor me. She's worthy of my attention. And so the first thing she tells me to do is get a service position, and which I do. I get a service position at the Northminster Presbyterian Church. And on, I think it was a Monday night. And I made coffee. And I... I, I was able to do that job because I had a car, even though it had no um, what, a spare tire and it was a dive of a car. I don't know whether it was Plymouth Valiant or a Dodge Dart, it was old. And I took that coffee pot in there early and, and then uh, have to, had to make it. And then I had to stay late and uh, people ran into me and they said, um, you know, I really like this kind of tea. And why do you have this kind of sweetener on the table? You know, compulsive overeaters really care about their uh, sugar-free hot chocolate. <laughs> so I met people, I had to meet people and it was great. It was great because I belonged. And then she gave me another assignment. And this assignment was, Kate, I want you to go up and introduce yourself at every meeting from the podium. And so this is what I, you know, I want you to speak at every meeting. So I, I went to the meetings and I'd say, now remember, I, I like gave workshops. I, I was somebody <laughs> and I would walk up to that podium wearing a muumuu because I was damned if I was going to have to admit what size pants I was wearing because I was at 200, above 200 pounds by then. And I couldn't face the reality of my pant size. So instead my solution was to wear so I'd go up and stand in front of the meeting and say, my name is Kate. My sponsor told me I should get up and chair at each meeting. Thank you very much. And then I'd sit down. <laughs> I was not your wellest person at the meeting. And so uh, after that happened, uh, she's told me to start reading the big book. And I don't know why, but once I got my hands on that big book, I fell in love. When I read the third step prayer, I felt comfort. When I read how to do a fourth step, and I, I mean, I was mad all the time, resentful all the time, because you know, I have this drug addict boyfriend who's always borrowing money and, you know, losing $20 here, $20 there, disappearing. You know, I was constantly mad. And my mother is, you know, she's doing tough love with me and I'm not happy about it. And uh, so I, I start doing little resentment inquiries on my own all the time. I was in love with that big book. And once that happened, then I started working the steps. Did I work them well? No. Uh, and you know, I, I know this because I went, uh, I have this huge box in storage of all my old journals. And I thought, I gotta burn these things before I die. I'm 61 years old and nobody's gonna read this shit. And so I looked through them and my first, 
my first inventory, which was 85 pages of resentments, was in 1984. I that's when I came back from Thailand. I I I, I didn't. I didn't start abstaining until December of 1985. So I was like crazy, crazy, crazy writing, you know, doing my inventory. And I, and I did my fifth step. I was terrified and it worked out all right. And the sponsor was wonderful, but I didn't think, I thought maybe I had more from somebody else. And, and so I chose this other woman who was an al recovering alcoholic and I was, now, now, can you see the little wheels turning in my head? Once I got the game, you know, that it, in recovery, looking bad is good, you know, and, and throwing yourself into service. And I started getting it, what, what we were supposed to do and, 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 and in, order to, in order for have this thing happen. And so I started really becoming intensely involved in the program. And I remember thinking, I wish I could be as a, God as I am about eating and you know it kind of happened <laughs> it kind of happened that way I, I I got another sponsor and I worked another inventory with her and uh and I worked at a food co-op of course and you know have to be close to the source of all 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 things uh worthy of eating and uh uh I had a 20 minute dinner break and every night on that 20 minute dinner break, I called my sponsor. I called my sponsor when I uh, was worried. Uh, I called my sponsor when I was angry. I called my sponsor all the time. And for some reason she took my calls and listened to me and I just blabbed on and on and on. So after I finished working my fifth step, something happened and there was a, a lightness and a freedom. And um, that's when I began sponsoring other people. And I, I have no idea I'm, how many I hurt in my attempts to sponsor them that, that early, but I was going for it. And uh, these sponsors, now I had moved away from the gray sheet and moved on to what they then called moderate mealing. But I remember sitting in meetings feeling like, this is not right. How do you know when you're really abstaining and when you're not? You know, and, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had, I had worked through, I don't know, my eighth or ninth step, something like that. I, I had worked on my steps and I was moving along and I thought I better start praying and asking God to show me, uh, how to eat. And, and, and sitting in those narcotics anonymous meetings, I felt jealous because my boyfriend, yeah, I forgot to tell you, my boyfriend by this time had gone into narcotics anonymous and was starting to recover. Uh, and, 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 and which was quite amazing. And so I was sitting in his meetings thinking, God, they know exactly when their, their sobriety date is. And, and I should have something like that. And so I ran into this group of people at a recovery home out in the desert who, who answered all my questions about abstaining. And, um, and that was totally fucking wonderful having excuse me for swearing but having people answer every question that i had about eating and uh to my satisfaction of course <laughs> so uh i uh i i started to uh, what what i what i got was i know it doesn't work for everybody but what i needed for my brain was a bottom line that I could live with for the rest of my life. And so my bottom line 
is and always has been no eating between planned meals, no matter what. And the meals are meals, okay? You know, they're not banquets. They're not, you know, truck stop uh, meals. They're meals. And I have a bunch of helpful things that I do around that to keep, to keep honest about that. And um, it, there's no weighing in measure. And one thing that was really important to my abstinence was I, I can't restrict food. I, there's no good or bad food. Although I have to tell you, I do restrict, like, I don't drink soda because I think it's terrible for us. I mean, I, like, there are some things I just don't do, but this is not my abstinence. I could do, but I, I don't. And because uh, several years ago, I became very concerned about the planet, I became a vegan and I don't recommend that to people. It, it, again, adding any restrictions to me is not a good thing for a compulsive eater. But for me, for some reason, it's turned out okay. So um, not restricting any foods. And then I got what was really important was I learned something valuable about myself, which was I need to do more service than I'm comfortable doing at all times, at all times. And I got involved with these women who wanted to start a recovery home in San Diego, women with eating disorders, a social model. And so I kid you not, we were insane people. We got the articles of incorporation done. We did all the 501c3 paperwork. And then we held a garage sale at the beach. I, 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 it's, it's insanity. It was a two day garage sale. So we slept outside to guard our shit you know, from it, people we thought would want this stuff. <laughs> and my, uh, my best friend started dating this guy in NA because he had a truck that could move the furniture. <laughs> so we, 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 we made 2000 bucks and we opened this recovery home. And the recovery home lasted for many, many years. And I was involved in it all the time. And uh, I volunteered there a lot, I was on the board. Um, it was really a very difficult experience for me and a very wonderful experience because it was like an outlet for service. And uh, by that time, I had decided to go back to graduate school and I was getting a degree in business, a master's of business administration, because I thought I was going to go back overseas and do this micro enterprise development stuff. As it turned out, a, a drug addict that I first got involved with uh, became my husband and I never left San Diego and I had two children with him. So uh, 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 yeah, it, it was, and, and that is really the stage, I think, that early stage of, you know, I felt like, like I had this weird superstition that if I didn't take people in my car to meetings that I, my car was gonna break down. So I was always doing service, you know, uh, making myself available at 3 a.m. You know, we had a, a, a list, you know, any a hotline list, and I was on that hotline list, and I would take calls anytime, and I sponsored a ton of people, poor people, and I, uh, I, I did a lot of, of service work, and I, and I went to all the conventions, I went to, I, I, I can't tell you how many terrible NA dances I went to, and NA talent shows, and OA talent shows, and I was just, I was in it, I, I, I was in it, and uh, it was wonderful. And once I learned how to abstain this way that these people taught me, I got into freedom. And I talked to everybody about this sense of freedom. Uh, if I stopped at the gas station, somebody was due at the pump, I would tell them. <laughs> if I went to the grocery store, I would tell the lady who was checking me out all about this freedom I had. And uh, I remember the, 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 
the thing that really struck me was that my brother, I had two, I had three brothers and two of my brothers and my boyfriend and I went to Montana from San Diego via the Grand Canyon. And I, 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 I felt freedom all the way through that trip. There were so many potato chips it crunched in every corner of that car. And my little brother was on a diet because he was going to the Navy. So one hand, he had a Diet Coke and the other hand, he had a gigantic bag of M&Ms, you know. <laughs> there were, and my, that little brother who was going to the Navy, we were sharing meals, you know, every fourth meal we bought a meal. And uh, he only had a Texaco card. So that meant every fourth meal I ate at a Texaco station. <laughs> Yet I still could abstain. I still could abstain and I still had that sense of freedom. So what that taught me was if it's working, then it works. And it worked for me. And I got that. I got, I didn't ever believe that that monkey could come off my back. I never believed that this could happen to someone like me. And uh, I just was sure I was always going to be trapped, looking at my thighs, looking at your thighs, wondering what size pants you were wearing compared to what size pants I was wearing, looking at you wandering across the, um, the you know, if we were at a potluck, looking at your plate as you wandered across, looking, you know, comparing it to my plate. I mean, I could not sit still without this mind thinking about eating. Is there an ice cream bar in the freezer for when I get home? I mean constant on edgeness and I didn't have any more of that I could sit still I could make it through meetings I started to enjoy Overeaters Anonymous I you know those days are really heady days for me because you know I was free from really responsibility of children and all I did was program and I loved it I loved it and I looked for God everywhere because I did not come in a believer I came in, of course, you know, an atheist or agnostic who was always getting trapped sitting next to the evangelical Christian on the buses who were evangelists, you know, were proselytizing to me. And I hated it and I hated them. And so, but I was so desperate in this city where I knew nobody. I had a crummy job. I lived, I, I lived in a place for 50 bucks a week. You know, I, it was bad and had a drug addict boyfriend. You know, I, I, I needed something. So when it was suggested to me uh, to choose a higher power, the, okay, so the first thing that came to me, I love the Star Wars reference, but my first higher power looked like Glinda, the good witch of the North. You know, it was the crown, the dress, the glamour. I thought, that's gotta be God. You know, <laughs> that's what God looks like. And over the years, this power greater than myself has changed dramatically. And um, I want to say that I know so much less now about my, this power greater than myself I've never known before. But what I do know is that God is not Santa Claus and does not cause things to happen good or bad to me based on my behavior. To me, my higher power, um, I rest in my higher power's lap uh, seeking comfort at every turn because for me, life is it's often painful. Loving people is painful. And, um, and I need comfort. And that's what my higher power does for me. So with regards to sponsoring, I used to sponsor the way my sponsor sponsored me. And then something happened. And I don't know whether you guys have ever seen the movie, A River Runs Through It. And um, 
Brad Pitt is learns how to fish with the same rhythm that his sponsor has. And then one day, near the end of the movie, he's fishing with his own rhythm. And the fly is 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 dancing across the water and his reel, I mean, and the and the what is it, the you know, the the string that's on the end of the rod is is whipping around to his own the in his own magic. And that's what I feel happened to me with sponsorship. When I moved to Montana, you know, in San Diego, you used to be able to, if you didn't want to sponsor somebody, you, you could say, no, I don't want to sponsor somebody, you know. Nope. Okay, that's, that's 30 minutes. Oh. That's all. Okay. I thought I was even further along. So, you know, that's okay. We'll find there's lots of boats in the harbor, Sheila says. But in, in Montana, I got to tell you, <laughs> there are not a lot of boats in the harbor and there are not a lot of people to sponsor. And if you want to stay well, you know, we have to learn to sponsor differently. And so uh, I began to get my own rhythm with sponsoring. And I began to get really excited about it in a way that um, like experimental, like I wanted to experiment with each person. And I figured that the longer, you know, we know that compulsive eating is a disease and that nobody, you're powerless over it. And the only thing that, that helps people is the steps. And so I decided, okay, I gotta get them through the steps quickly. So I'm gonna try to get them through the steps in 30 days. So the people that I sponsor, I talk to them for an hour every day in the morning from six to seven. Before I sponsor them, I say to them, are you desperate? Are you really desperate? Are you willing to go to any length? And they say, well, I think so. And I said, well, because I may ask you to go to any length. And the first length I'm gonna ask you to go is to call me at 6 a.m. every morning. <laughs> and then you have to tell me at the end of every day what you've eaten. It's not like I'm gonna, like I'm gonna stop them from doing anything. I just want the honest truth about what they've eaten so that we can take a look at what their disease looks like. Some people are on the anorexic side. Some people are exercise bulimic. Some people are, uh, uh, you know, garden variety compulsive overeating uh, overeaters. So it's only by looking at what, what's on their plate that I can, I can actually figure that out and know that. And also it's a really good and an honesty. And the other thing they have to say, they have to agree to is they have to the whole truth and nothing but the truth, no matter how embarrassing it is. So these are my, like, like th this is how I weed out people who aren't ready yet for me. I mean, I'm the last house on the block that people want to come to because then we go rapidly through the steps. And uh, at the end of 30 days, they are, they're on step 12. Now, does this always happen? I wish I could say, yes, it always happens and it always works out well, but really life happens and sometimes things get in the way. So we don't always get steps that quickly, but that's my goal and that's my aim with every person. And I have been able to do it with many people. And so um, once I was available in my, my mind to do this, I roll up and I started giving retreats on it, on, on how to get people through the steps in 30 days. And, um, and, and that's what I give the people I sponsor is, you know, they say, well, how do I sponsor? And then I, I hand them this thing and I say, now you, know, you can look at mine, but eventually you better come up with something on your own because at some point, everybody is different that we sponsor. And that's a really cool thing because at the same time I'm sponsoring an atheist, I'm also sponsoring an evangelical Christian and I've got to know stuff. 
and I got to know how to reach these people. So I have to study, you know, like I have to study and learn things. I have to get on the internet and find prayers that work for the, the, the atheist and the agnostic. And I have to have a, a somewhat of a command of the, the Bible to be able to talk to this woman who is an evangelical Christian so that she has some trust and comfort in me. And I have to tell you that when I sit around a table or even on our Zoom meetings now, when I sit around the, the women that I sponsor, and I sponsor men too, I get like such a feeling of love. Uh, I, I mean, and it is, it is not the love that a mother has for her children, which I have two boys. That love is protective. And that love is painful in many ways because you, you, I'm always anticipating what could happen to these, you know, these children of mine. Something terrible could happen. But with the people I sponsor, for some reason that doesn't happen. I just, I just get an infusion of love. Kate, you muted. I am? Okay, there you go. Can you hear me now? Okay, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. People, an endorphin rush when they run or walk or hike. I, I get it when I hike long distances and so I do. Because uh, I love those endogenous opiates, um, but uh, I also get it from sponsoring. I also get it from working one-on-one. -on -one. Now I have uh, uh, worked at the, you know, done service at the World Service Business Conference level and the region level and intergroup, and it's my least favorite form. I will do it if it's my turn. I will do it, but I must say it gives me so little <laughs> of that good feeling, and. I'm, I'm happy for the people that it does give the good feeling to. Um, but I get this good feeling sponsoring. And when I do retreats, I have to tell you, I don't have the same good feeling. I have a good feeling, but just not that same level of warmth and intensity and love uh, from knowing somebody so closely and so well. You know, when people share their fifth step with you and when you go through their uh, amends with them and they have to make scary amends, uh, there, there's something that never changes. You know, I, I, I have gotten so much from these people. And also the other great thing is these people have terrific ideas and they will tell me how to make my assignments better. You know, I try to give very few assignments and mainly I try to, uh, you know, what we're trying for is a spiritual experience, not a catalog of good assignments. <laughs> so every assignment has a purpose for it. So like, when uh, when we're on their third step, they're reading out loud from page 60 to 63 about selfishness and then counting every time selfish throughout the day, you know, and that assignment is really eye opening because we are so selfish. I mean, I am. So uh, I, I love to sponsor people because of this, uh, the magic that happens and also the closeness and uh, and and. And, and most of the time, the miracle happens. And, and when it doesn't, or if it happens and then they go back out, I'm still abstaining. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still, you know, great. I'm still having great feelings. And most of the time, I have to tell you that if somebody leaves me and stops calling me, after our 30 days, then they call me once a week for an hour. And after that time, if they stop calling, I, I keep them, you know, I text them, how are you doing? You know, once in a while, just to, to let them know that I'm here if they ever want to come back. Because Overeaters Anonymous is always here. 
and uh, and and this chance for recovery is not a one-time thing. Uh, many many people come back and come back and come back again. So uh, I just want to keep that door open because I, I can't tell you that I, the trajectory of my life changed dramatically since I came into Overeaters Anonymous. Had I been the 25-year-old that I was, I was on the track to being, you know, the adult. I don't know if I would have lived. I was so intense and intense that uh, I mean, as it is, okay, okay. So I, I, I'm, I'm sure I come across somewhat intensely, and as it is, you know, at 14 years of abstinence, I kind of had a mental breakdown. Never did I need to eat compulsively again. I never needed to eat compulsively again, um, but I needed to the whole way I was living. So, you know, uh, uh, I, I can't imagine had I not had God, had I not had my family of compulsive overeaters, you know, my best friend is a compulsive overeater. My, my sponsor, she and I co-sponsor each other now. And uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be without her, you know, and to be without all the people who really walked me through my recovery. You know, if, if, if anyone went to and said, yeah, I know Kate V from Montana, I'm sure they would remember me because uh, we were so involved with each other at all times. I mean, it, the, you know, my experience doing service really changed me. And, and the other thing I wanna say is my experience in program has changed over the years. And one of the things that's really changed is um, my knowledge of selfishness my knowledge of wanting to get my way and, uh, and when I don't get my way being unhappy about it. And, 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 and I get it so much more now. Nobody has to suffer the wrath of Kate if you know, the 18 year old who's the clerk in the store doesn't know where the dog food is. Uh, they're not gonna get chewed out by me because oh well, shit happens. And Kate, that's 40 minutes. Okay, thank you so much. So let me wrap it up. Shit happens all the time. And it's okay. I don't, you know, that's I, the rule of the world is I'm not the sun. I'm not even a planet. I'm not even a, an asteroid. I am a small meteorite revolving around some moon, some asteroid, some, some planet, some sun. And I don't get my way. Anyway, thanks for letting me share. I'd love to take questions. Excellent, thank you very much. Uh, seems like we have about 12 questions, so let's just get started. Uh, first question, how many people do you currently sponsor and is that the same number you ask sponsees to sponsor? Well, it's not impossible to sponsor that many people in person in Bozeman, Montana. That the, the people, I sponsored 10 people and uh, maybe I've lost a couple, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get a, another one. I, 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 I have my eye on somebody who, that I can sponsor. I feel like I'm a vulture waiting for them to come to me. Um, I try to uh, send people to the people I sponsor uh, uh, because uh, there just aren't enough people. In 10, really, our meetings are small. 10 is our biggest meeting. So I think that answers your question. Yeah, very nice. Um, next, what are a few of your favorite pages in the big book? 
Okay, so I've already told you, uh, my favorite pages are pages 60 to uh, 63, which, you know, after the, the whole how it works spill, then there goes the best part of the big book about the selfishness. And so the assignment that I love the best is I ask people to read that out loud in the first person from pages, the bottom of page 60 to the middle of page 63, and then count how many times they're selfish per day. And it is just interesting. Uh, that, that, that part to me, I think it, 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 that's what growing up is about, you know, is realizing that we are not the sun. We are just a little meteorite. Anyway, thanks for letting me share on that. Next question. Next question. If you eat in between meals, does that mean you'd start your time over? I don't eat in between meals. That's my bottom line. No eating between planned meals. Now, um, I do cook. And so I taste. But that's like you turn the spoon over, you take a thing, and you taste it. And I will tell you about one scary time that I had. So I used to make people, I kid you not, this is how much freedom I have. I used to make people candy for Christmas. Like, like caramels, fudge, and all sorts of things, and send them out to my family, you know, mail them out. And one year, my family came to visit me, and I'd made them double dip peppermint patties. And it was after dinner, and I was showing my niece how to make them. And we passed one out to everyone, and I had take, started taking a new medication at that time. And so, uh, I, think I was a little off. I'm always a little off when my family's around. I'm trying to prevent myself from turning into a complete asshole <laughs> in front of my family. So um, I sit down and for some reason, I, I, I have forgotten that it is not a mealtime. And I have a peppermint patty and I take a bite and another bite. And then, oh my God, I realize what the fuck is happening. Excuse me, again, I can't stop myself. I realize what has happened. I spit it out and I run and call my sponsor and I call my best friend right away. And you know what they say to me? Well, welcome to the world, Kate. Now you're part of the real world. Cause they used to make fun of me, you know? Oh yeah, abstinence is so easy for you. It is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you never have problems. <laughs> and so I got what that sensation of being, um, you know how it says it, it's like we're touching a hot coal. I, I was repulsed by it. I, I, I was so, I mean, that's what I wake up from a nightmare thinking, oh my God, I've been eating in between a meal. And now this may not be for everybody. I, and I'm, I understand that. But for me, for my, the way my little German tectonic mind works is I needed that line to help me. Because in my moments of sheer and utter craziness, that line is all I had to hang on to. And the question was, did you eat in between a meal, Kate? And the answer is no, I didn't eat in between meal. So did I, did I restart my abstinence then? No, I didn't. I didn't restart my abstinence. Sometimes, you know, I, I tell people when I sponsor them, their daughter runs up to them and puts a strawberry in their mouth and they swallow it. Do they start their abs? And I say, no, but it's probably not a very good idea to do that. You know, you might just want to tell her you don't eat between planned meals. So uh, that's the only time that's happened to me. Okay, thank you. Uh, next question. If you could go back to your young self on the first day you came into OA, what would you tell her after her first meeting? 
to my young self, oh my God, I don't even know I would sit next to her. Let me tell you, the waves of disapproval off of my young self were so pronounced that like, you know how everybody says, oh, we'll love you until you, you learn to love yourself. It didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. Nobody was sitting next to me for a long time until I started sitting in the row of half measures. That's what we called it. All the young people sat in the back row and made jokes the whole meeting. And I started sitting in that back row and that row of half measures changed my life because those people kidnapped me. And I have a very embarrassing story to tell you. And if you want to cut it out, Sheila, I understand entirely. I had this dream and I knew I had arrived in OA when I had this dream. I was in bed sick and I was farting. Okay? The room smelled horrible. And around me, all my OA friends held my hand, touched me, stayed with me the whole time. No matter how ugly it got in that room, my friends were there. And that, that's when I knew that some, you know, subconsciously, you know, when you are learning a language, when you start to dream in that language, you, you, you've, you've arrived at something. And so I started to dream in the language of OA and I knew that there I was, I, I'm home. Anyway, I don't. I think that was too much of an answer. There you go. <laughs> Row of fashion measures. That's great. Um, what is the biggest mistake you see most people making in Overeaters Anonymous? Well, I really do like the perfectionist thing. Uh, you know, oh, working OA is the least perfect thing I've ever done. You know, I, I, I'm sure I didn't do a very good job. I mean, I overdid my job on the steps. I tell you, I really overdid them. Uh, but I didn't do a, I didn't do a totally thorough job on anything. I did a pretty good job. And uh, sometimes my meals are shitty looking. You know, sometimes they don't look like, uh, like uh, I tell people, feed yourself like you'd feed your kids if they have children. If they don't have children, I say, feed yourself like you'd feed a guest in your home, <laughs> you know, don't feed yourself something that you'd be embarrassed to feed somebody. But sometimes I feed myself like I don't matter, you know, and, uh, I, I, and, and, oh, well, oh, well, it's just a meal. There'll be another one. And so I don't get really hung up on the quality of my meals because if I did, I'd be miserable. And, and I also think the biggest mistake people make is thinking that that you're gonna get the body that you want. What you're gonna get if you eat moderately and you exercise moderately and you eat 80% of the time healthfully is the body that God wants for you. And you gotta be happy with that. Now, you know, I've, I've, I've maintained a 55 pound weight loss for many, many years, but I really, you know, in my dream of dreams would have liked to have been five, 20 pounds lighter. And, uh, and that really bothered me for a while until I met somebody who said her dream of dreams was to be 20 pounds heavier. <laughs> and so I just knew, shit, you know, uh, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit and you learn to love what you got. And so, and now, you know, what I, what I have is, is deteriorating quickly over the years. So I'm not so unhappy about my weight but the, the, the quality of my flesh bothers me and the visible pulse of aging bother me. 
and still I have to I have to thank these 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 limbs for getting me up a hill, uh, for letting me ride a bike, for letting me go hiking, letting me go cross country skiing. You know, I, I still have a lot to be grateful for. Okay, excellent. Um, next one. You speak a lot about your siblings. How has your relationship with your family changed based on your recovery? Well, okay, so I have, I'm from a family of five kids. And of course I was the middle kid. And uh, uh, I had two older brothers. And um, okay, so I was known as a young girl as hateful Kathy, right? <laughs> Not a great, but very accurate uh, nickname, hateful Kathy. And I was, my, my, my grandmother used to why, wonder why I was such a hysterical child, why I was so anxious all the time. And it would be unpleasant to be around me sometimes. And I would do things to annoy my, my siblings, like twink their ears constantly as I sat behind them, or I'd call my brother who was two years older than I was a twerp because he was my size, my height. I mean, I was not your, you know, most loving. I that little girl with a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. When she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was horrid. And so I was kind of like that. And now my two oldest siblings, I am in the, I'm their guardians of their children. And and uh, my youngest brother, who I was estranged from, just came to Bozeman to make up with me, to atone for, you know, and we talked and got along. And my sister, she is in AA. And, you know, I had her kids for two years while she was going to treatment. I had one child. We each got, we farmed the kids out to all of us. And against all odds, she got all five of her kids back. So, you know... Yeah, she calls me all the time. I call her and we're on a text thread now. And so we, we I keep up with her. Um, we've never been the closest, my sister and I. She, um, she's the alcoholic and I was the codependent and compulsive overeater. And I, I she was an embarrassment to me growing up and I was an embarrassment to her. <laughs> so, but we, we, we're all very civil and loving now. And I know her children and, and she knows mine. Great. We That's have about I... uh, seven minutes left, I think. Um, next question. Can people who are atheists or agnostics get this too? How does that work? Um, well, I think that they can. We, we know some very famous speakers, or not famous, but you know, there's no fame in OA, uh, but some well-known speakers like Lori from uh, Ontario who is an atheist who has recovered beautifully. And we know that the, the main belief that we have to have in coming into Overeaters Anonymous is that we're not the sun and the worlds do not revolve around us. And no matter what you can do to get that idea, it can even be the, uh, you know, like a, a negative belief, you know, oh, I'm not the sun. That, that, that can be your higher power. <laughs> I'm not the sun, I'm just an asteroid. So. I'm sponsoring a woman. I, I, have a, I have to tell you, it's difficult for me because I have this, I have a very personal relationship with God. I mean, I, I am, you know, just when I think 
you know, I don't have any communication and I know so little about God and what the fuck is he doing? Where is he? I'll get a new thought. And I know that's God. You know, I get a new thought that I never had before. Like I was just recently feeling, I, I fell in my bathtub because I tripped on my pajamas and I, I cut myself and hurt myself. And I was thinking, oh God, I'm gonna be like my mother. You know, she died at 72, she just went downhill. And, and I had a new thought and the new thought was, Kate, wake up. That's why, you know, you can look at these falls as something bad or you can look at them as something good. Pay attention to yourself. Come on, pay attention. And that new thought helped me from being afraid. So, you know, I love, I love relationship with my higher power. It's a little hard to imagine not having that comfort. I'm sure that it can happen. And I've watched people have it happen. I just, I just love God. I mean, I just love that sweetness that life has when you have a higher power. And because I was an atheist, but you know, I, 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 and I changed, I, I changed my ideas. So I think I'm sure it can happen. Um, it's not the most comfortable position for me to be in to sponsor people who are atheists, but I'm always willing. <laughs> Another experiment. Excellent. Um, this question is actually pretty similar. Uh, what does God's will mean to you? How does it play out in your life? So as I say, I know less and less about God with every moment. Um, but I do know that um, I'm supposed to be useful. You know, that my role in life, Sheila, Sheila came and taught us all this, you know, page 95 of the big book. Our, our main job is to be of use to other people. And, and to make ourselves of maximum usefulness to other people. And so uh, I, I know that's God's will for me. And I, I try to do that as much as possible. And it just so happens that I love service. So um, yeah, it, I, I get opportunities to do service all the time. Even if it means I'm walking down the street and there's a piece of garbage on the road, I'll pick that garbage up. And it gives me a sense of well-being. Uh, taking in the neighbor's garbage cans help me too. Anything helps me to be of maximum service to other people. And I know that, that that's God's will for me. I also know it's God's will for me to abstain. And I know it's God's will for me to be in Overuse Anonymous. So that's all I know. Thank you. Um, next question. When you say that no food is off limits, does that include sugar? You know, it was scary for me when it started, when I, when I, when I had because I was somebody, I was such a restrictor. By the time that I got to being willing to try something new, I was down to eating cabbage. You know, I eliminated, yeah. kept eliminating foods. What? I kept eliminating, eliminating and eliminating foods. So uh, I, all I was eating at the end was cabbage. And, you know, when you're binging on cabbage and mustard and things like that, I mean, that, that's really pathetic. That's a pathetic place. And, so I had to change my ideas. And I remember the first time I ate a piece of chocolate, I thought I was gonna run out and get more and binge, and it just didn't happen. What, what, what's, what's really, you know, there, there is a dopamine factor to eating sugar, I'm sure. And for a lot of people, it's a problem. But um, for me, it happens when I eat a lot of anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> If, 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 I, if I can have ice cream, yes, I have ice cream, but I only get a half a cup of it. What the hell? How is that worth anything? A half, do you know how small a half a cup is? Or 
two little squares of chocolate. It is not thrilling. It's like, oh, what a fucking waste, you know? I would rather have a lot of something. And so, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't ban any foods, especially sugar. <laughs> I, it's almost like my, my little armband. I feel like I'm wearing an armband of, for uh, that this, the, the eating disorder is about my need to eat compulsively. You know, and when I eat compulsively, it drives me to eat more compulsively. It's, for me, it's not a food addiction. For many people, it can be, but not for me. Mine's a behavior addiction. Mine is about eating a lot of food. Okay, great. Um, thank you. Sheila, it's top of the hour. Should we um, stop now? Regrettably, we, okay. we should. So everybody join me, if you would, in thanking Kate for a wonderful lead. David, giving us the applause. Cool. And uh, Kate, you officially get the uh, award for dropping the most F-bombs, too. So, <laughs> right? One more round of applause. 51-year-old lady from Montana. Here with your family. We love you. <laughs> we love you and you're most welcome and it was a, a wonderful powerful share just like i knew it would be so incredible i know how much service you do up there what a, how lucky they are to have you up there in montana so thank you my friend all right guys so we officially have a 15 minute break but i do just want to i just want to announce something because i haven't been getting to this and you know of course we've had these wonderful speakers all day we started with ron and nikki and nanette and then beverly and we just heard from kate and corey and laura are coming up and then robin will be closing it out for us but i also want to announce because we have people who the behind the scenes people have just been doing service all day. And some of them are just, sometimes I'm catching them as they come in and as they leave and thanking them, but I just wanna announce. So people stepping up and doing service and some could do short amounts of time, some longer amounts of time, but we're grateful for all of them. So Brian and Candace and Connie and David and Graham and Jan and Jesse and Louise and Pat and Robert and Sandy. And of course the incomparable Mark S after you know, doing service at those meetings and he you know, got himself covered in his commitment so he could be here all day for us today to be our, our host. And I, you know, I wanted him to host because he just knows more than me. So he was just very, very gracious. So thank you, Mark, for your service. Just, I would just invite you next time, right? Because it's kind of a scramble to, to get people to do service. And, and um, you know, whoever does the most service wins. I just, I promise, I'm just telling you what I know. And um, yeah, we would love to have you involved. And there is a, a workshop that's happening two weeks from today. And I know you can be in touch with Morley. He's the, uh, I, I don't know what his title is, you know, but you know, be, be in touch and you know, go to the OALAIG website and you can find out the details, but uh, he's gonna need some support as well. But uh, thank you everybody for being here. Thank you to all those people for doing service, including our speakers. So we got a nice 15 minute break and then we will be back ready to go at 4.15 with a sponsorship team. Laura and Corey are gonna share their experience, strength and hope. These two women have 61 years of absence between them, right? 29 years and 32 years. I think I got that right. 32 or 31. 31. Anyway, it's a treat. It's all a treat. Thank you. We'll see you in, see you in about 13. And you know, if, if you want to stay in the break, I will remain in the break if you had any more questions for me. You may not, That's but I'm happy to. Thank you. And Mark, did you need to share anything? Um, I am going to be posting some of the last uh, links for upcoming events into the chat during this time. 
Uh, I will also uh, be on in case anyone has any questions. So if you have a question for Kate during this time, just shoot it over to me. Uh, and then until uh, our next two speakers come on. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. I just got a I just got a text from one of the people uh, from Bozeman. She said that was effing great. <laughs> okay. Um... Kate, I got another question. Do you use any OA literature in your sponsoring? If not, why? Do you use sponsor with uh, big book only up to 164? Or do you include the personal stories? I usually, um, I mean, I love the, it was used to be called Dr. Addict Alcoholic. And I love to use that part, those stories. There are certain stories that I use always. Um, and I, I lean heavily on the big book. There's just so much to get through in 30 days. I do, however, use the 12 and 12, the 12 and 12, um, especially with people who are coming from AA, who I sponsor, because they, they seem to have a harder time transferring to the eating disorder. So step one and step two are particularly poor people who are drug addicts or alcoholics, I think. I mean, for, in, in my experience. So I, I try to use as much. I, try, I love the 12 and 12. You only go to meetings that we study a book at. So right now I go to um, a big book study and a 12 and 12 study. And I also, we're starting uh, the sex and, and body image and relationship book that we'll be reading. So. Okay, uh, next question is uh, someone would like to know if you would be able to provide your contact info. I, I did, it's my email is there. Oh, that's mm -hmm. what I wanted to tell everyone is that if you want my documents and my, my forms, all of that, just mail me and I'll send them out to you. I just need, I just need you, you to email me. Okay. I have a ton of information day by day, broken down. Let's see, all right. Um, and anyone asking, I will put in that also. Uh, let's see, got another one. Scroll down. Um, do you take outreach calls? And if so, oh, they like your number, but um, I will post her email and then everyone, you'll be able to get her email off that right now. Thank yeah. you. I take a lot of calls. I try to call, I try to walk and talk at the same time, not getting hit by a car if I cross the street. That's always a good thing. That might be easier to do in Bozeman than it is would be to do in Los Angeles. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you make a lot of calls and how do you work with your sponsor? So I, um, when I moved to Bozeman, it was like, it was like it's like having the umbilical cord cut it was so painful to let go of my community in san diego that i started calling my best friend for an hour every week and i have set up time and same with my sponsor i talked to her every wednesday at eight o'clock in the morning 
And um, yeah, and, and I go to San Diego once a year to visit them. And I stay with my best friend and then I spend time with all the people I love in OA and go to as many meetings as I can back there. So during that week, because, you know, some people went to college and got really good friends. Well, I, I did not go to college and get really good friends. I went to a very nice college, but I was not a nice person. <laughs> I only became nice when I came into OA. <laughs> and those are my found out here. Um, next question is, do you do anything daily or do you have a daily routine? Yes. So what I wanted to say, and I didn't say is that for me, it's important to know what my program is. So steps one through nine for me are preparations for steps 10, 11, and 12. And so I follow kind of like the Bill W way of working the steps. You know, you work the steps and then you live in 10, 11, and 12. So for 10, you know, it's really easy for me to identify resentments and I do it exactly the way we do it in the big book. Um, and that is, uh, I can't remember what page it's on, but it's, it says, and now we're at step 10 and I do exactly that. So if I get a resentment, I, uh, I, I, I kind of alter the resentments and the fears to match my fourth step. But I, I, I call somebody, I work through it right there. It takes two minutes, you know, I'm resentful of, it affects my and my part. And of course, it's always selfishness on my part. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then it says, and I don't forget this. I always say my seven step prayer after that. And I, uh, I go on to, um, uh, do I have amends to make? And then I resolutely turn my thoughts to helping somebody else. So that means that I have to go out and help somebody else. It could be picking up dog poop. It could be anything, but it's gotta be you know, I could take out the trash. I could call a newcomer, anything. So that's how, and then fear, I follow the fear inventory that I do and do the same thing. And then if I catch myself in selfishness and dishonesty, I just follow it straight like the book says. And um, uh, with uh, my 11th step in the morning, you know, uh, I, I, I have this little thing in my calendar. It's, it's a Mary Works put together found all the prayers that we're supposed to say in the morning in the big book. And I put them all together and I sit down in front of my calendar and I look at it and I say, okay, God, you know, reveal to me what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindness and love. And, and I kind of just turn my, my will and my life over. And what that means for me practically is that I usually have to cross things out because my expectations of myself are way too high almost 90% of the time. And so I let that happen. And then at night, um, I, uh, I do that, I, you know, I have the spiritual toolkit, you know, the program and I do the nightly inventory and then I send it to my sponsor. And I felt like I was bothering her, but she said she really likes to receive it because she feels closer to me. So it's really helpful to do that. And then um, the 12th step, of course, um, I, and, you know, I, 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 I take so many calls because I sponsor a lot of women. And so I hardly have to call anymore because people are always calling me. And that is a great position to be in. You have people, you know, some mornings when I'm really into myself and, I, and I'm having a hard time with my morning, I'll get boom, 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 three calls right in a row. And it, it's like magic. It's like magic. And so that, and I, then I go to my meetings regularly and I try to do a service position at my meeting and rotate that, of course, but- cool. Always okay. gets me to my...
All right, the next one is, do you weigh yourself? And if so, how often? I do weigh myself and I weigh myself because I don't weigh and measure food. So I need to make sure that I'm being honest with myself. So I get on the scale once a month at early in the morning on the first Saturday of each month and with, you know, no clothes, same conditions all the time and weigh myself and record that. And usually I stay within the same, I mean, I've been within the range for a long time, but sometimes it's even the exact number. Right. But I only do that one time a month. All right. Uh, the next, uh, you mentioned a breakdown. Uh, the person asking um, actually had some at the beginning of the year, just in time for our wonderful amount. And uh, what does it feel like to be safe, you know, to be able to say that? Um, let's see. I don't. Oh, uh, it, how is it that you, you know, sharing that, you know, with people? Yeah, I try to share that because there's a lot of stigma about mental health. So mm -hmm. I always, you know, when, when people are talking about it, I say, yes, I, I'm, uh, you know, I go, to, I go to this other program for people with mental illness. And it's, <laughs> I try to be very open about it because there, the stigma is hard. And there's a lot of judgment even in our program about taking medication, not taking medication. And I've kind of set up my own little program to keep myself mentally, uh, like I have a little checklist mentally well, especially during this COVID time, you know, where I'm doing my outside exercise, I'm doing my meditation. And the meditation that I do is not for my program, it's for my mental health. So I, I you know, I, I, I try to really be open about that. And, you know, I was on the couch for two years, unable to take care of my young children. So it was a big deal. And do you feel that uh, in a way we are doing uh, better with that? Do you think we're do we need to do more or? Mental illness? Yeah. I, th I think our, our job, yeah, I think our job is to work our programs mm -hmm. and to, you know, do, do what we're supposed to do as far as our abstinence. When people have mental illness, you know, they'll find, God will put them in touch with someone else who has it and we'll find a way, you know, uh, I don't think OA is set up to help every problem. You know, we're, we're about compulsive eating and compulsive food behavior, so. All right, uh, next one is, how do you deal with body image? Oh, very good question. We just had a retreat and we had Janet R. She was fabulous. She's from Iowa and Yuma, Arizona. And we had a little body image workshop at the end you know, on Saturday evening, and it was really good. Um, I, I don't think I'm, I'm ever going to not be a compulsive overeater in my, in my dysmorphia. You know, when I see people, I think, I wonder if I look like that, you know, or, uh, you know, I, when I look at people on the beach, I'll, I'll offer an appraisal of their, their body more than other people would. And I'm always going to be looking and comparing myself. I just don't, it's like, it's like any other small annoying problem. It, it's like, oh, well, you know, what? there's nothing to be done about it. I'm abstaining, I'm exercising moderately, I'm eating moderately, and I'm eating 80% of the time healthfully. So I, I, again, I do have a little problem with it getting older and the, you know, the, the flabbiness. That's never attractive in my book. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Uh, unfortunately, we're about to come off break. So uh, those people that I've not been able to ask your questions uh, did post Kate's email and you can always uh, email directly those questions to her. 
Um, I am now going to be turning the meeting back over to Sheila to take over as we introduce our two new speakers for Corey and Lori. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for handling that over the break. You didn't get to take a break, so that was kind of you to do. And Kate, it was generous of you to stay for that extra time and answer those questions. You're, you, you, it's obvious how much you care, and, and we're so lucky to have people like you in Overeaters Anonymous. So thank you. Very, very generous. Okay, so now we have a uh, sponsor and sponsee team. The original intention was I was going to set it up this way, and most of the people I started asking, including my sponsor, said, I don't want to share with my sponsor. And presumably, I guess she didn't want to share with me either as her sponsee. So <laughs> that's how we ended up with singles. But, but these are obviously a sponsor and sponsee who get along well. So we have Laura and Corey. You're going to have 40 minutes of sharing. Laura's going to start out for us with 15 minutes, and then Corey will do 25. And then we'll have about uh, 15, 16, 17, 18 minutes of questions for these two women. So ladies, thank you very, very much. And these are women I've known for a long time and have admired, long, long time. And I've admired, as a matter of fact, I was finding old emails from uh, from one of these women and I just, uh, you're, you're, these, are, these are wonderful women and they have a lot to share with us. So yeah, over 60, 61 years, I think between the two of them, 61 or 62. So take it away, Laura, I know you're getting started for us. Thank you for being here, ladies. Uh, Laura, you're muted still. Thank you. <clears throat> Hi. Hi, everyone. I am Laura, and I am a compulsive overeater. And uh, thank you, Sheila, for asking me to be part of this. I can't think of any um, person I'd rather share this time with than my beloved sponsor, Corey. And um, uh, Corey has been my sponsor since I, we, we sort of agree on, on 2000 and since 2001, which is 19 years. Um, and I have been in OA since August 17th, 2000 or 1989. And I started abstaining on um, August uh, 26, 1989. So last August, I celebrated my 31st year of abstinence. Mm. And I abstained from eating between meals and from uh, certain foods that give me trouble. And I worked the steps and I work, use the tools on a regular basis. And I have a very strong relationship with a higher power that I have come to understand um, over over time and that you know that's a constantly evolving and changing relationship. Um, I uh, when I got to OA, I really I I was 35 years old. I had spent all those years being tyrannized by food and I couldn't um, I couldn't stop eating and I didn't think there was any solution for me. But when I got to OA and I went to my very first meeting at the Lions Club on uh, Robertson and for those of you who live in Los Angeles, um, you know, I walked in and my whole life changed because I heard people sharing uh, the things that I thought only were, were things only I did with food or that I, you know, that I felt. And um, 
I, I got a sponsor at my second meeting and, um, you know, I heard what, what people were saying to do, you know, and I saw the steps and I, I, uh, I heard, I mean, back then there wasn't much OA literature. I mean, there was some, but, you know, mostly I heard from the big book. Somebody told me to get a 12 and an AA 12 and 12, which I did. And I'm a big reader. And I, I read, I started reading all the literature I could get my hands on because to find myself in the literature was also extremely um, helpful. And, and basically what happened was that I, I was able to find a substitute like they talk about in the big book. Um, you know, do we have a substitute? Yes, we have a substitute and it's the fellowship. It's the fellowship and, and all of the, you know, everything that food was doing for me, I found a way to, to use the program to do the same thing. And that doesn't mean my food is perfect. I mean, I have, you know, I have abstained from the things that I mentioned to you, but, um, you know, I certainly had big meals. I've certainly struggled over time, but I am, um, no matter how much I've struggled with a big meal, for example, or, or how I've had to add certain foods to my list of foods that I abstain from, I, um, you know, I have, I have been, God has done for me what I cannot do for myself because I have not broken my abstinence over all these 31 years. And um, that is possible. And sometimes, you know, with other, if that's not your story, that's okay too. You know, where everybody's welcome here. And if there's any newcomers here, welcome, glad you're here. Um, so I got a sponsor pretty quick. And then I worked with her for a little bit and then she moved out of town. And so then I got another sponsor who I, I started working the steps with. And I remember my fourth step was unbelievably lengthy and she sat there patiently and she listened to me and um you know my life started to change also because of of being free from the food but also using the steps to you know to 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 learn a new way of life a new way of living as they say and um and i and i i wasn't i i can't you know it was a long time ago and I can't exactly remember what my relationship with that sponsor was beyond working the steps. I mean, I don't remember having a call time. I don't remember calling her every day. I, I don't really remember that we did that, but I do remember working the steps and getting up through, um, you know, probably six and seven. And then That's she, five moved, thank you. Then she moved out of town and um, that, began a period of probably four, five, maybe four or five years where I had the sporadic sponsor relationship. And I was, I started, um, I loved that. That was great. I wasn't accountable to anybody. And I, you know, because I would call, they wouldn't be there and that was great because I was still calling. And they weren't there and I didn't have to talk to them. I didn't have to, you know, um, I didn't have to do anything. And I started, um, but still, you know, I, I've always had a more, what I call a morning meditation, which is actually a day long 
connection with my higher power. Um, and I have to, you know, I have, without that, you know, I'm really lost. But um, I did that. I stopped, I never really called people very much anyway. Um, and, uh, and I would go to, at the very beginning of my recovery, I went, I, I went to as many meetings as I could. But once I got into this sort of routine, I think I went to two a week. And then after a while, it dropped down to one. And then, um, you know, I mean, I started having life and life was, uh, was hard. And, and even though, as I say, I didn't, I didn't uh, discontinue abstaining from the things that I abstained from, I, um, I, I, well, I, I should also mention that when I came into OA, I weighed about 250 pounds. And I, um, I have lost as of, I don't know, two weeks ago when I weighed myself, you know, close to a hundred pounds. I have, I have lost a hundred pounds, but over many, many years, not quickly at all. Um, and at the time I probably had lost about 50 pounds. And, um, and one day I went to the doctor to get my blood pressure check or whatever. And he goes, you know, you've gained 20 pounds since you were last here. And I said, really? And it was like completely unconscious, but it did, it made sense. You know, I had drifted away. I didn't have a sponsor, you know, at that point, whatever sponsor I had, I had dropped or she dropped me or whatever. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was doing a 10th of the program and, um, and I, and I started going to, I had been going to this big book study um, for, for a long time. I still go to, it's the same meeting. I've been going to that meeting ever since it was started in uh, whenever it was started. And um, probably I've been going to that meeting for like 25 years or whatever. It's moved from location, but that's, that's kind of been my, my that, that was my tether to the program you know, aside from my relationship with, with my higher power, but um, it wasn't working. It wasn't working anymore. And um, I, I started hearing in that meeting, people sharing about how their sponsor told them this and their sponsor said that and their sponsor this and that and their sponsor knew them. And I realized I needed, I wanted that. Not that, not that I needed it, of course I needed it, but I wanted it. And I knew Corey from another meeting that we had gone to. We've probably known each other well over 30 plus years. And um, I asked her to be my, I took a risk, you know? I, I knew I needed to, you know, my, our food is but a symptom. My weight was but a symptom. But I, I knew that it wasn't gonna be good if I kept on that path. It was, it's just so easy to slip away. And so I, um, I asked Corey to be my sponsor. And I remember she said to me, well, what do you want in a sponsor? And so I had to think about that, you know? And I, I kind of just said, well, I, you know, I want, I want someone to, I, I don't think I used the word accountable, but basically that was, you know, I want a relationship with sponsor. I want someone who knows me and, um, Corey has given me that in our relationship. Um, we, what I do is I call her on a daily basis, um, leaving her a message. And then once a week, 
we talk for anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes. She gives me so generously of her time. Um, we work That's 10 steps. minutes. Thank you. We work the steps. And, um, but back then, you know, she said to me, you need to get, and she, she was really clear from the beginning. She said, you know, there's going to be times if you need to talk to me that I'm not going to be available. So you need to get a, a community, an OA community. And she, and by this time I've been in OA for 11 years. And she said to me, you need to call, you need to go to more than one meeting a week and you need to call people. And I was like, call people. And she goes, yeah, you need to call people. You need to get a community. And I remember saying to her, you know, 11 years in, in OA, and I said, but I don't know how. And, and she said, well, you just call people and tell them, you know, what do I say? I was like, and she goes, you just call people and you tell them you're practicing making calls. And that was like, oh, okay. And that's what I did. And, and over time, I... I, I have, a, now I have a community. I mean, you know, I've had it for a long time and now I go to, I, 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 I also, I don't have time to sort of tell this, this, my whole story, but several years after that, you know, Corey was, was so patient with me and, and, and uh, she helped me um, through a, an issue that wasn't specifically compulsive overeating, but she really tried and I was insane with another disease. And she finally gave me the best gift she ever gave me by sending me to another program. And she took me to my first meeting. And, um, and that, that program combined with OA has been the, the, the perfect fit for me. And so I started, you know, I started really working OA with a passion that I had never worked before, or maybe that I had worked it when I first got here. And so today my, my, pro, my OA program between the two programs, I go to, well, now with, with COVID, I go to, I mean, with, with Zoom meetings, I go to four meetings a week. I make three phone calls a week. I spend 20 minutes writing once a week or spreading it out over time, you know, writing either step work or just writing. And um, sometimes if I can't write, I'll just read some literature that I, that I haven't read before. I wake up in the morning and I say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. And I connect with my higher power immediately. Um, and uh, as I said, throughout the day, I have this whole routine of, of, a, of a, a connection and morning meditation. And I read, um, I read um, two morning readers in my other program, but I also read other program literature for I just, I have a specific, I have a routine and um, I use all the tools. I do service. Uh, I have a commitment at every meeting, just about every meeting that I go to. And I, um, you know, I make those calls. I, I, I think I am sort of running out of the list of tools, but you get the idea. I mean, I, I have to, without these, without this medicine, I will, I will, be lost again and having a sponsor having someone to be accountable to you know we my dad died a couple of days ago my dad died last sunday 
And, and one of the first people that, you know, I texted, I texted my, my community and Corey called me, you know, she was like there for me. Like she always is there for me. And I, if I could have, could have given a job description of a sponsor that I, my dream idea of a sponsor, that's her, it's Corey. And um, I, I think my time's just about up. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna end and I'm gonna thank Sheila again for asking. I'm so glad to be here and I'm so grateful for what OA has done for me and the people it's connected me with. And um, thanks for letting me share.